Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's time for Cover 2 Broncos. Just a couple dudes breaking down scheme, film, and the numbers. Now, your hosts, Joe Rowles and Jeff Essery. Welcome back to another episode of Cover 2 Broncos. I'm Jeff Essery. I am Joe Rowles, and we are joined today by Mile Higher Porch, Joe Mahoney. Welcome, Joe Mahoney. Hey, guys. Joe is famous for the tackle conversations that we had over the last those last two off-seasons. We've talked about Garrett Bowles. So those were some, I have to admit, those were some of the funnest, I think, podcasts we've done. The, the two different ones that we had you on breaking down Garrett Bowles and his game. So always a pleasure to have Joe on the show. I want to throw yeah, no. in... I still am getting crap for what we said about uh, Garrett Bowles last year. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, well, that's, it was, it was tackle analysis that actually got me on, uh, on Ken McCusick's radar. He, you know, he, he saw the piece that I did on tackle arm length and he was like, Hey, this is, you know, something that, uh, that I'm interested in. Uh, Cause he, he does film study, but he uh, ostensibly focuses on the offensive line. And so, you know, here's a guy who's, who's, who's does film study, does statistical analysis and is a, you know, as an analyst specifically about how the, the Ravens offensive line plays. Um, so, you know, he and I have had some, some pretty deep in-depth conversations. Um, and, uh, you know, so we, we talked about the, uh, tackle arm length, but we also talked about, you know, where teams get their starting offensive tackles. Um, because that one was kind Notre of an interesting study to do. <laughs> Go Irish, um, Stanford or Notre Dame. Dame. Yeah, uh, but uh, or Michigan. Um, yeah. 
I will say though on the Garrett Bowles thing, I th I'm pretty sure we'd have to go back. And I, I'm not, you know, I think we said at the time, like I'll happily eat crow if he turns out to be good. Like we all wanted him to be good, but I think we even said in there, like this isn't saying he can't improve, but at this moment, everything up to this moment has not been good. But he flipped the switch, and you know, yeah. it's, it worked yeah. out. He, he hadn't shown the progression that we would have expected in a third-year offensive tackle um, in terms of you know looking at what he had done in his senior season in college and then comparing it to the same exact mistakes that he was making in his third season in the NFL. And then so. I would say in 2020, it was pretty clear after the first two weeks that something the, – the switch was flipped. Yeah, I mean, we were talking about it even in the, the yeah. chat. You know, it's like – in. It's not like we throw this kind of stuff out. It's the same with Drew Locke, where it's like, oh, you're just rooting for him to fail or whatever. It's like, no, no, I want to see these guys succeed. Like, even if we put the analysis out that says he's not succeeding, like, we're just based on what we see. And in two games, I mean, I remember, I think I remember messaging, like, us messaging on that of like, okay, there's something, something's up. He's done something different. He looks a lot better. Well, and I think that's one of those things that a lot of people either listening and or reading a lot of our content really miss is like, yes, my job is to analyze and be as objective as I can watching what I'm watching and I'm not going to bullshit you. But as a fan, yeah, I want I want every single player on the Broncos to turn into a Hall of Famer. Yeah. And when oh, yeah. the tape actually backs that up, we'll we'll scream to the, you know to the rooftops about it <laughs> exactly yeah but it's it's been what six years now of of really shitty football on the offensive side and there hasn't been much to crow about that's very true well i kind of on that note on the note of shitty football let's dig in <laughs> yeah that's that's a good segue uh the, the question i really want to pose to you guys and again i i didn't give you any warning so bear with me uh kind of how confident are you uh, we're, we're now less than two weeks to go until training camp opens for the 2021 season. How confident are you in the direction of the Broncos? <sighs> okay. Well, um, it's been a roller coaster. Uh, I'm, I'm much more confident now than um, what I was after the draft because the draft, at least for me, was a one-two punch. Number one, we didn't get fields at nine, um, and I was certain that that we were going to take him, uh, and I was certain, and I'm still certain that he's going to be a very, very good NFL quarterback. Uh, but then the the second gut punch to me was the fact that we didn't even draft an offensive tackle. So you know that's what I wrote that up uh, right after the draft. This is four years in a row where we haven't taken a tackle, not a single offensive tackle. Now, admittedly, you could say that Reisner played tackle in college, and I've seen quotes from the coaches saying that he is an emergency tackle. But to this point in his NFL career, through two seasons, he's yet to take a single snap at tackle. So we we have not drafted a tackle. Um, and uh, and yes, Mike Munchak has been great throughout his career, getting day three and undrafted guys and turning them into starting offensive linemen. But you know, to this point. Um, I, I don't know that he really did that with Elijah Wilkinson. And was he a starter? Yeah, by default, but he wouldn't have been a starter if Juwan James had, you know, been able to play. Uh, and uh, Calvin Anderson is kind of like at this point, he's he's still Godot. We're kind of waiting for him to develop, and you know, he may never get there. So you know, we went out and and after the draft and and signed two. 
bargain basement tackles. Um, and admittedly, I mean, we've got, we literally have less money invested in our offensive tackle group for the 2021 season in terms of cap than some teams have invested in their starting left tackle. Yep. Uh, because Massey and Irving and even Bowles, Bowles cap hit for, for 2021 is only 5 million. So, I mean, it's, it's 5 million is Bowles and he's the highest and we go down from there. I think all told, it's something like twelve million in cap space tied up in our tackle group, um, and that's including Drew Himmelman, uh, who's who, believe it or not, because of his signing bonus as an undrafted free agent, is making more than Calvin Anderson, despite the fact that Drew Himmelman has yet to take an NFL snap. Which you um, could potentially spin as a positive in that we're getting bowls like good level production for cheap at five million. And then also that we're not paying Juwan James to not be on the roster. So his cap hit, you know, his cap hit was included in there, you know, before the, the team released him before his, his injury. So at least there's, a, you know, one silver lining on that. But that doesn't yeah. help. That doesn't help the tackle, the right tackle position. It doesn't help whoever stands back there to stay upright. That's for sure. And if he I wins his grievance, well, no, that's fine. As I was saying, if, if he wins his grievance, um, does that mean his money goes back in terms of our uh, cap hit for the 2021 season? I believe the grievance was just for a portion of it. It was like a two million port signing bonus or something, but the the significant portion of his of his hit isn't coming back. Okay. To my understanding. Yeah, that's one of those that I'm like, uh <laughs> start to get really, really into like contract law and you know, NFL contract esoteria there. But I want to touch on something you mentioned with Munchak and this came up when I was so I'm I'm in the middle of doing like the the position by position breakdowns of you know all the rooms, and I got to the offensive line and I kind of came up on like what you just said, and and again I'm not here to do like the hot take calling for anyone's job thing, but we are entering year three with Mike Munchak, and the Broncos still have an it like they have a huge questions across the offensive line outside of Bulls, like. I understand, like, I'm not saying it's all Munchak by any means, like, part of it's, you know, having the resources, but, and I also understand, you know, the offensive line takes a while to develop, but, like, he hasn't, he hasn't done it yet. Oh, I would say, I mean, we just got done talking about Bowles making that jump, and to me, like, when when we brought Mike Munchak in, that was kind of, like, job number one, right? And so, I I think that buys him a little bit of time. I'm not, I'm not trying to say he's a failure by any means. I'm just saying, like, like we're in year three. I feel like we're getting to the point where if the offensive line is bad, there will start to be some cawing out in like the media sphere and fans getting kind of upset about this because like he's had a reputation as the best offensive line coach since Scarnecchia retired. Yeah. And, yeah. I, and I would say, I mean, Joe, you could probably speak to this Mahoney, you know, is, um, with your expertise on it, but like the, the coach of the offensive line, like, giving him continuity is probably the best thing that you can do for him. And Denver has tried to get that, particularly at the right tackle position, just hasn't had that continuity. And so I feel like it's been better over the last two years than it has been previously. You've had Reisner staying, you've had Bowles staying, and then since they brought in Graham Glasgow, that's at least three solid guys. Who knows at center this year if Cushenberry stays, that's a fourth that you bring back. But – you know, there it's still been at least two or three, two, you know, one or two guys in flux almost every year. 
Yeah. Well, and I think part of the, the, the biggest failing on the offensive line last season was Cushenberry. Um, I mean, I I love the fact that he was able to play every single offensive snap, but he was the, the weak link and teams, defensive coordinators exploited that pretty regularly. He did get better as the season wore on. Um, but you know, I, he, he his play dragged down the play of Dalton Reisner and dragged down the play of Graham Glasgow. Um, and you, you know, it was a ripple effect, right? When your center is the weak link and teams know that they can beat you with a gap blitzes all day long, they're going to start using a gap blitzes all day long. And you're now your playbook is limited because if you have to keep a running back in and have him, you know, essentially doubling and, and checking those a gap blitzes on any pass. Uh, well, it, it basically takes the running back out of the passing game. Uh, and it also makes you, you know, use a guy like Philip Lindsay, who's just not going to be able to stop a 240 pound linebacker barreling up the a gap uh, very readily. Um, so it, it, you know, it, it limits your playbook. It limits your offensive uh, formations because you can't use your smaller running back or you can't send a guy like uh, Melvin Gordon out into the pattern, you know, on a flare pattern because you got to keep him in to help your center. And you had a young quarterback who was behind Cushenberry. And so like both of those guys didn't help each other out. Right. And yes. I, I know Drew Locke over the offseason, I think kind of threw Cushenberry under the bus a little bit. It felt like on some of that, I'm just saying, you know, oh yeah, Cush is, He's getting there on some of the, the blitz callouts and stuff, but it's like a veteran quarterback would get you out of some of those situations too. And oh, yeah. So it, it was just like a double compounding thing that, uh, you know, the it, teams exploited, like you said. In a way, it felt like the Broncos were kind of caught with their pants down with like COVID because they were planning on having Cushenberry kind of ramp up to play and have somebody else kind of there. And then. Cushenberry was clearly the best player out of a bad bunch of centers because they went cheap at center last year because they paid Melvin Gordon. And then Cushenberry wasn't ready because they didn't have a preseason, but they had no one else. And, yeah. and, and to your point, Joe, I want to say he improved. And I thought that like, yes, he improved, but he was still bad at the end. It's not that he was good, but he improved from being like abysmal to being bad. And I'm not saying that to hate on Cushenberry. I'm just like I've I've recently gone back over some of those last games, and he's still clearly the weakness on the offensive line. Yeah, and that's yeah. saying and, a lot based on the right tackle play. Yes, and, and, true. You know, if we're talking about Broncos getting caught with their pants down, I would say this year at right tackle, like you just mentioned, Joe, in terms of them passing over the right the tackles in the draft, and everybody knew that Juwan James wasn't coming back this next year. Nobody you know anticipated he get injured this in the off season, but he's rarely made it through a full season. And so for them to not have a contingency for right tackle is kind of, you know, we, we don't, you know, my feelings on the subject on this show. Yeah. And I know, like, I feel like I've beaten this to death because I know I wrote about it right after the draft. I know Joe, you and I both wrote about it right after the draft, but knowing what the developmental curve is for an offensive tackle, the fact that they didn't grab a tackle in the draft when they knew everybody knew that Juwan James, even if he was healthy, was going to be a one-year guy. Like they were not going to keep him after this year unless he just blew their, you know, blew their minds because he was so good. So the fact that they didn't plan for that, to me, does seem like a stark failure, like just pure failure. Yeah, un- unless, and this is a huge unless, unless they know something that we don't, like Calvin Anderson is ready to make the jump into a starting tackle. But yeah, you know, that we'll see that. Cause if, if he's there. 
at that this point. We'll see that in training camp. We'll see that at the start of the season. We'll see that in preseason. But if he's at that point, he will beat out Irving. He will beat out Massey for the starting right tackle spot. But if if he were at that point, and why would they sign the, two guys? The pushback, why would they sign both Irving and Massey um, ostensibly to you know to fill the the gaping hole at right tackle? They signed Fleming, um, right? Was it? Yeah, it's was Cameron. Cameron, or Cameron yeah, sorry, sorry. No, 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 no um, you're good. They're both Camerons. I I know who you meant. Yeah, but but no, yeah, I, I, I I was I was just like, about to say the same thing though, Joe. Like if they believe, and again, I'm not ruling it out. Like Kelvin Anderson, like he he has the feet, and like every you know all the reports suggest he has the kind of work ethic you want. But if the Broncos really thought that that was the possibility, like they probably wouldn't have hedged their bets twice. They would have probably grabbed a veteran, not two. Yeah, I mean, you could say that Fleming is you know is also a backup at guard. Um, and that's, you know, it's not a bad thing to have considering that Glasgow missed some time last year with injury. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, and, and I want to go back to center for a little bit, because if you think about the last two guys who've been the starting center for the Broncos for any significant amount of time, um, you had Connor McGovern, uh, who was basically like a year and a half, but McGovern essentially had a red shirt season, right? I mean, he basically as, as a rookie did not play. Uh, and then you go back to Matt Paradis before, before that. And Matt Paradis, um, same thing. He didn't play at all as a rookie. And so both of those guys had a, a year to get their bodies into NFL shape and to acclimatize to the speed of the game and the speed of the mental processing of the game, which is critical more so at center than it is at guard or at tackle. Um, because there's a lot more mental stuff going on for the center in terms of telling the other guys on the line, hey, look, you know, I, I, I remember seeing this in film. They're going to run a stunt because, you know, that the guy right there is got his hand, you know, he's not putting his weight on his on his hand. So that's a stunt. I know they're going to run a game on me right there. So he calls it out to the guard. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of mental stuff that has to go on. And with a rookie coming out of college, even even coming out of the national championship team, he's still not going to be at that point. He's not going to be anywhere close physically, maybe mentally. No. Um, and that's, I think I, I'm, I'm convinced, and this is from playing center in college, that the reason that we gave both McGovern and Paratus those red shirt years was for them to get up to speed mentally, because I think physically, I don't know that either one of them really changed their Soma type much in the year that they had not playing in the NFL. I think what it was all about is getting your head ready and right to play in an NFL game. Well, and that's Which, why I thought it was so interesting that they went and grabbed Quinn Miners to potentially push Cushenberry because not only is he going to have to acclimate to the pro game, but he's coming from D3 and they didn't even play last year. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so I wonder it's if it's just even a just head a little bit of hedge you know, a hedge against if Cushenberry doesn't take another step this upcoming year and you let Miners sit for a little bit. And, um, I mean, they, they picked him up in the who was third. The third, right? Yeah, third round. Same, so, same round as Cushenberry. So same as Cushenberry. Yeah. So that's an, that's an interesting one. I mean, I think I'm with you, Joe, in terms of the, um, the head scratching a little bit from a draft perspective. Like, I was really happy with – Patrick Sertan as a player, and I said this right after the draft. Mm -hmm. I was I was overjoyed with Patrick Sertan as a player. I was not happy about what that meant for the direction of the team or what that meant for like where they were choosing to go. And it meant that they were choosing to 
throw up their hands and say, we're going to go to competition with Teddy Bridgewater and Drew Locke, unless it meant there was, you know, something on the back burner with Aaron Rodgers and, you know, who, who knows how that plays out. But at this point, you can't assume that they were planning for that this far, you know, into the season. And so they forcibly chose to pass on a quarterback and who knows if it works out, but I mean, I think Sertan's going to be a great player. And so, I like that pick. I hated the pick for running back. I, I didn't like the trade up even more, but they ended up making up for that by you know um, coming back into the and kind of making it a wash. Essentially, I still don't like taking running back high. I mean, I, I put this out on Twitter around the same time. We had we've had five now running backs in the second, third, or first round in the last you know ten years. You've had. Ronnie Hillman, no Sean Marino, Royce Freeman, Monte Ball. Monte Ball was a second rounder. And Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. The two guys that have gotten the most starting snaps for the Broncos have been CJ Anderson and Philip Lindsay. <laughs> and then, you know, Melvin Gordon, who they bring in via free agency. And so, you know, obviously past performance isn't indicative of the, the future, but it's just I'm just not about throwing darts at the board in the second round at running back. But I mean, I like the I like the guy. I think he's got some talent. I just don't like where he was picked. So it's Sertan and Wildums both. Like I like the player. I'm just not a huge fan of the process that went into getting them on the team. Now they're on the team. You know, I think they'll be good. Well, and your concern about the process is honestly my biggest concern, kind of going forward. Uh, in terms of like the direction of the Broncos is because like you look at what the Bron- like you look at what Peyton did and I, like I've been thinking about this because I because again I kind of thought when I woke up this morning I was gonna bug you guys about this he he took a corner and again like and, and I'm not and I'm not trying to bash the the players again like anybody listening like this is purely from a process standpoint cornerback tends to be a pretty quick hit player usually a rookie season is kind of an adjustment and then they're ready to go. Uh, running backs basically right away, they're ready to go. Like your rookie season is probably going to be as productive as any other year, unless the guy is like a phenom. Um, so like they took two players that are safe and easy, easy hits like early. And instead of, instead of a quarterback who would solve potentially a long-term problem for 10 to 15 years and a tackle who, if he hits would solve a problem for after a development period, which takes two to three years usually ends up solving a problem for about 10 years. And so what ends up happening now is now if, if everything kind of goes, let's say realistic, like let's say Teddy Bridgewater wins the quarterback competition. And after the year, he's a free agent. Well, at that point, and, and, and again, on the same note, Bobby Massey and Cameron Fleming finish out the year. They play between the two of them. One of them looks okay, but they're both free agents after the year. Well, then we're back to square one next season where the Broncos need a quarterback and they need a tackle and if they draft one, they both have to develop still. So it just, yeah, it, it doesn't I, solve I, the issue. I totally agree. And, I, and I'm honestly of the opinion that Denver currently is playing for seven and nine or above 500. I think, I think that's like, was the, and, and you can, you know, you can say playoffs, you can, 
you can beat the drum and do the whole like cliche stuff that coaches say in the off season, but the Broncos are trying to get above 500 this year. And I think that was their focus. I mean, you see it in the moves in terms of a guy like Teddy Bridgewater. It's the safe picks. It's the play now picks is getting everybody together. It's trying to, to turn around some of this horrible momentum that we've had over the last couple of years of winning four and five games. I honestly think that's their goal currently this year. And this is my biggest issue with Peyton is if that's the plan, you're wasting what you have with Von Miller. You're wasting what you have with Cortland Sutton, Bradley Chubb on rookie contracts, Justin Simmons, Garrett Bowles are on the cheap part of their extension next year. They're going to be expensive. Like this is the, like the Broncos have $30 million in cap room. And again, that's enough cap room, and maybe Peyton had the plan to get Aaron Rodgers or before the, all the allegations of sexual assault, misconduct, all that stuff, maybe go and get Deshaun Watson. Like I understand that that may have been the plan, but those plans didn't go as you hoped, and you had Justin Fields fall in your lap, and you went the way you did. And now if you're playing for 7-9 or 8-9 and nine or you know hovering around 500, maybe if we're lucky make the playoffs, well, next year, Von Miller's probably gone. Realistically, they're probably not going to pay him what he's going to earn on the market. And I'm not trying to be a hater. I hope he stays. But, like, this is probably the most talented supporting cast a quarterback is going to have in Denver for the next three or four years just because of the cap dynamics. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, to to the question, like, the overall question, are you confident in the direction of the Broncos? I would say I am, you know, uh, meh on George Payton currently – only because of the fact that I think, and I've said this before, and I'm not trying to make it a hot take. I actually honestly believe this, that I think you could probably take half the GMs at the NFL level and like the big moves, right? Not the day-to-day stuff, right? But like the the big stuff that they do in terms of who you pick in the draft, free agents, you could probably outsource that to Twitter or your, you know, your top 10 most educated fans and probably get the same results. Like it's not, it's not this massive like it's not rocket science what George Payton did this offseason. And I've said before that I don't think he did anything different than John Elway would have done. I mean, he came in and hit autopilot. He picked up a veteran quarterback. He went with the safe options. He kind of restocked the roster, reshuffled, pulled in some veteran talent, and they're going to see what happens. Like he didn't make any type of big moves. Now, maybe that pays off, but it feels like if that's the MO of the new GM, we're just going to be in kind of that let's let's get over 500 for a while until something significant happens. So Jeff Fisher, seven to nine bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and if you look at it, right, I mean, what's, what's the goal, right? The goal is to win the Super Bowl. Okay. Well, this team as constructed is not going to win the Super Bowl because this century, there've only been two defensive teams with crap offenses that won the Super Bowl. And that would be the Ravens way back at the turn of the century and the Broncos with the no fly zone. Every other team that had a really good defense at least had an offense that could win the game if it had to. I mean, you could say that the the Buccaneers last year won it with their defense, but Tom Brady actually had that offense running really well at the end of the season. Um, and, you know, it, it, there are a lot of parallels there with what the Buccaneers did in terms of bringing in a veteran quarterback and surrounding him with talent um, and then essentially riding the defense and a quarterback that wasn't going to make mistakes, at least until he got to the Super Bowl, um, to a Lombardi trophy. So, 
Yeah, I mean, I, you know, realistically, the Broncos aren't going to win the Super Bowl this year um, without, you know, Aaron Rodgers at quarterback. Uh, and so and, what are we playing for this year? Well, right? and, and given that, I think that to your point, Joe, um, Rouse is, you know, if if we're just shooting for 500 or whatever, and then we wipe the slate clean again at the end of the season. What are we? I think that's doing? where the vi- yeah. There's no vision. I think, and I mean, it could very well be. Let's see what happens this year, and then hit a hard reset. I mean, we've said before this will be Vic Fangio's third year, right? And he may not have a winning season in three years in Denver. Yep. And I don't know how you, you know, I like Vic Fangio, but I don't know that you keep a coach after three straight losing seasons, and so. Maybe that's the plan from George Payton is let's hit autopilot, see what happens, and then just start over. And I got to say, as a fan, that that's the plan. It's about as uninspiring as it gets. Yeah. And, I, and I'm not trying to be a downer. Like, again, like, I, I apologize. But I just – I've been thinking – the more I've been doing these position breakdowns, I've just been thinking, like, what are we – like, what is the goal this year? And people get mad at me on Twitter, and people are starting to get mad at me with my report because, like, I'm apparently I'm the Aaron Rodgers guy. I was the Deshaun Watson guy before all the allegations and now I'm the Aaron Rodgers guy. But here's my thing. And this has come up when I was talking to Seth Galina from PFF. The point is to win a Super Bowl. Like that's what you do this for. Like if you're a GM who's here to just write out a five-year contract and be a GM and just like sit on your coattails, like I'm not a big fan of you. And I'm not saying that that's what George Payne is doing, but if the Broncos are just kind of hitting autopilot and that's what they're doing, I will be pretty critical of it because I think that's bullshit. I think fans deserve better in Denver fan like Bronco fans deserve more than that. And they have a roster that they could push for the Super Bowl this year if you make the moves to do it. And that's why Aaron Rodgers makes so much sense. Or like, and again, before the allegations, I'm not trying to apologize for it. But that's why a big time quarterback makes sense. Cause like the Broncos have the formula to follow that Buccaneers blueprint this year. But well, you I need think to make that's moves. why it made sense to try to go big with a, a young quarterback in the draft. And yes. you know, I I wasn't super sold on fields, but I think he'll be good. And, you know, maybe they didn't think he was the guy. I know they, I heard they liked, was it Lance better? I yeah. think that was kind of the guy that they would have picked yeah. if he, if he fell to them. Um, so we'll see how Lance pans out, but it, you know, maybe that was the guy that they had their eye on and um, they actually were planning to get one who knows, but I do think, like riding this middle ground at quarterback really doesn't get you anywhere and it kind of wastes this roster. And I think that's what I'm struggling with as a fan this year is I'm really excited about the roster. You look at the roster, I think we're going to have a really good team this year. I think we're going to have a dang good defense. That'll be fun to watch. And so it's just a shame because it feels so much like the last couple of years where you start to look at the roster and go, man, we could really do something. Ah, but what about that offense? What about that quarterback? And I've, I'm worried that a couple of games into the season, we're just going to, you know, unplug the laptops and, and chuck them after and say, okay, let's I mean, the seasons, you know, you can go ahead and pack it in. You know, we make the joke that Scotty from um, mile high report, that was one of the uh, staff writers that, you know, about week four every year, he just kind of packs it in. He's like, yeah, we're done. We're not, we're not doing anything this year. And it's true. Like it, it, that could very well happen this year. You go four games in and kind of see like, yeah, we're not, it's not happening this year. That brings me to my next question. Then 
who do you think wins the quarterback competition on this side of training? Like before training camp opens, just kind of based on, you know, where we're at. And this is assuming that Aaron Rodgers isn't coming. I'm, I think Bridgewater wins it. Um, I think if you look at Vic Fangio being a defensive coach, wanting the guy who is the quote unquote slow and steady, um, and it and really isn't going to make you the make the mistakes or make as many mistakes that hurt your team. Uh, I think Fangio is going to side with with Bridgewater unless unless Drew Locke has made a huge jump in the offseason in terms of his ability to make decisions. Um, and I think that's really what it's going to come down to for him because, um, you know, I, the, I, I was, you know, we were talking before the show about the, the end game situations. And there was the, the one, um, end game drive where I was looking at where the Broncos were down by one touchdown against Kansas city. And, you know, we yeah, were, I were driving that. and I'm looking at this play and I'm like, okay, yes, the chiefs had, pretty much everything covered, you know, and this was a, this was a do or die situation. It was like fourth and five with 40 seconds to play and no timeouts. And, you know, we've got to get the, but if you check, Tyron Matthew cuts the post yep, and picks yep. it off. And, yeah. Yeah. And if he had, if he had checked it down to Gordon, Gordon probably picks up the first down and gets out of bounds. And we, you know, we have another play, but it's one of those situations where um, there, there wasn't a good option for him to throw the ball to they had everything covered um he went with uh, and actually i think i think you discussed it joe in the in the film chat we were you know going back and forth where i i posted some jpegs and you're like yeah this is he was probably coached to throw it at Judy just, there but yeah okay all right um so you know but it, it's one of those things where um there were a lot of situations that last season where you looked at it and you're like yeah he just made the wrong decision here you know, and, and is it, is he going to get to the point where he makes the right decision here and how, how much rope do you give a quarterback in terms of making bad decisions before you finally just say, he's not going to ever make the right decisions. You know, the, the first rounders get a lot more rope. Second rounders don't, but at this point, you know, we've, we've gotten 18 starts from Locke, So it's not like people can say that he hasn't had that much experience yet. Um, has he, has he reached the breaking point or the, the, the inflection point where, you know, things start to click. Um, and, you know, we've discussed that before in terms of how many games, how many starts that is. Um, but, uh, he, he hasn't yet, or at least he hadn't last season. Um, arguably you could say maybe in the last five he had, but yeah, it's tough. Um, I would, yeah, I mean, I think. To me, like if you're gonna roll the dice, or, or if you're gonna like all the stuff, all the stuff that we've talked about in terms of where the team's at, I think you might as well roll the dice on Locke, and because the the upside's bigger if he if he hits, and then you've definitively kind of just run his time out. But given that, I think the way that the team, like the decision making up to this point, I think they'll easily lean Bridgewater because he's. I, I think he's going to be a lot more stable at the quarterback position. I think he fits Pat Schirmer's offense better. I think he'll be better than Drew Locke in the offseason. However, he's, again, a one-year rental. And so what do you do if he ends up playing well? Do you now try to make the decision to to pay him and, and all of that? And so I think 
best case scenario would be Locke making that step and them just trying to go big on on him panning out, but I don't think he will. And I think Bridgewater ends up being the guy that starts. And, you know, maybe that works out this year. Maybe he ends up playing better than he has. And, you know, we were talking about it before the show. He it wasn't in the greatest situation in Carolina. And so maybe he finds a, a niche a little bit in Shermer's offense with the weapons Denver has around him. But um, I think best case scenario for the Broncos would be if Drew Locke can, can make that step. But I'm with you, Joe. I think that Bridgewater is the guy that ends up starting this year. I am really yeah. torn on who will start just because the the Broncos have treated Drew Locke like he was a first-round quarterback. Like, rightly or wrongly, they have they have treated it like that last year, and now they did this year. They brought in a bridge or, a you know, a, a hedge, but they didn't bring in, like, somebody who really is going to just push him out of the way. Like most second-round quarterbacks that had the kind of season la- uh, Drew Locke had last year. You And you and I looked at this, like, going back to 2000, Generally speaking, yeah, first-round quarterbacks are going to get enough rope to hang themselves. But most quarterbacks, like, if you looked like Drew Locke did last year, you're done. Like, that's the end of it. Um, And it wasn't so far. And again, I'm not trying to root against Drew Locke, but I think I'm conflicted about this because the Broncos brought in Bridgewater, who may very well be good enough to beat him. But if it's close enough, is management going to kind of put a thumb on the scale and kind of give Drew Locke the, the run? And there's a significant portion of Broncos country that seems to believe that that's going to be what happens. Um, And at the same time, I'm with both you guys in that Teddy Bridgewater is better pre-snap. He makes better decisions consistently post-snap. He's more accurate. He. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. I, he's a better player, like based on last year's tape, and it's not close. And I'm not saying that Bridgewater's faultless, but he looks like the better player. I almost think it's the other way around, potentially, given what we've seen from George Payton and Vic Fangio. If you're coaching for your job, if it's even close between Bridgewater and Locke, and Locke hasn't, like, far and away just stepped up and proved that he's made the jump, if I'm gunning for, you know, if I'm if I'm coaching for my job, I'm putting Bridgewater on the field. So I think yeah. if there's any thumb on the scale from the coaches or management, it's going to be towards the winning games right now side and not throwing picks. And, and, and that's that's where I think it comes down to. I think you know if, if the if this team is legitimately anywhere from a six and ten to a ten and six team, right? And and though that that plus or minus two wins. Uh, are determined by the quality of the quarterback play. Um, and if that plus or minus two wins, I mean, if we finish nine and seven, I think Fangio keeps his job. If we finish six and 10, I think he's out. I yeah. think they're going to look at it and say, you had three years. We had three straight losing seasons. There was very little progress from a, from a franchise perspective. We're going a different direction with head coach. Um, but, you know, nine and seven, uh, he might keep his job. Heck, even eight and eight, 
uh, he still might keep his job because he could at least say, yeah, well, we made some progress year over year. We went from five and 11 to eight and eight. That's plus three in wins. That's a pretty big gain. Uh, the issue comes down to, you know, do we think that there is a two win difference between starting Teddy Bridgewater and starting Drew Locke? And that really comes down to a speculation on how much Drew Locke or if Drew Locke has improved any relative to what he showed last season. And, that's and we can all we can assume that he's improved some. The question is how much is some? Yep. And and I want to chime in just that like again, this is before the preseason, so the tape doesn't lie. We'll get a good chance to see how that competition kind of bears out. And I I do believe that it will be an open competition. And the one thing in that that kind of sticks in my mind, this is why I think it will be Bridgewater that ends up winning it, is going back to OTAs. I remember, I want to say it was the fan Cecil Lammy. And he said, like, when he was watching practices, he basically was like, it's same old lock. Like, there's good games, or there's good plays, but it's the same guy. Like, he's still making the same kind of issue, like mistakes. And it's like, if that's the case, if the coaching staff is the ones that decide it, I think it's Bridgewater easily. If it ends up being some sort of situation where Elway has a say or Payne's invested in the long-term situation, like then I have then I have questions. But but I do think the coaching staff has every reason to put the best guy out there, and I I do think that that will be Bridgewater. I would just like to say too that if somehow, and I said this back when the news first first broke. If George Payton somehow does pull off the Aaron Rodgers thing, particularly this late in the game, I'll drive to friggin' mile high and start laying the concrete for his statue right right now. <laughs> if he's able to pull that off, I mean, so I'll, I'll take back everything I said about George Payton if if, if that happens. But uh, so I think that's you know a minuscule possibility still that we at least I'm still hopeful for, but we'll see. I'm going to argue with you and just say that I still think it happens. And again, this is why everybody thinks I'm crazy or I'm obsessive or like I've gotten a lot of that lately. But here's my thing. At this point in the game, it comes down to somebody asked this. So this is actually answering a question from from a listener. Somebody asked, why hasn't it happened yet? And the thing is, if you're the Packers before June 1st, you had no financial like there was no reason to do it. It was going to cripple your cap. Well, after June 1st, you're probably holding on, hoping that Aaron Rodgers comes back with his tail between his legs and decides that he'll play this year. And yeah, he missed OTAs, but it's OTAs. Like, if you're the Packers, you don't care until he's starting to miss actual games that matter. And at that point, like, if he if he misses the beginning of training camp and it kind of starts to bleed into the preseason, I could see it happening. Um, we don't know if that's going to happen. There's not, you know, we we have AJ Hawk who has hung out with him for a couple hours. We have all of his former teammates. We have everybody kind of speculating on it. But Aaron Rodgers hasn't come out and said what he's going to do. And I think until he does that, we don't know. And if we don't know, I'm going to continue to believe that it could happen just because I would rather believe that Aaron Rodgers comes to town and the Broncos chase the Super Bowl. <laughs> and we're all hoping to God that Drew Locke or Teddy Bridgewater is good enough to make the most of this roster. I mean, I do think the two things that point towards – it being still an open door is that across the NFL, it's pretty definitive that nobody thinks Aaron Rodgers will be playing for the Packers. Like very, very few people think Aaron Rodgers will be playing for the Packers this year. 
Now, they don't know how that shakes out and what that means for where he'll play or anything like that. But that's one thing that's, like, pretty sure. Adam Schefter, thing, Adam Schefter was on the PFF podcast with Chris Collinsworth, I want to say Tuesday. And he said that he got a text from a reliable source that said, quote, unquote, he's dug in. And again, you know, who knows? But to your point, yeah. Like, there, there are people that I trust that basically are saying, like, he does not want to play for the Packers. Who knows what happens, but he doesn't want to. Yeah. So that, I mean, so that's the one thing that's still hanging out there. And then the number two thing is it's pretty, this is less like, I think, consensus, but the kind of the sentiment and rumbling across the NFL spheres is that the, the best destination for him and his preferred destination would be Denver. And so like those, just even those two data points to me is plenty enough to put a, you know, put a little doorstop there to keep the door open enough, at least until the season starts. And the other part to that, and again, I'm, I went and looked this up when I was uh, talking to Eric Jensen on Green Room a couple, well, yesterday. Based on just you know the cap numbers, there are only four teams who could afford a trade for Aaron Rodgers with the cap situation with his cap, you know, post trade without adjusting the rest of the roster. And again, teams are willing to probably adjust their roster for Aaron Rodgers. So like, how much does that matter? But there's four teams that can afford him without having to do that. The Browns, who have Baker Mayfield and, you know, probably want to extend him. That's been the word. And Baker Mayfield's, I mean, he's pretty good. better than Aaron Rodgers. I'm, I'm kidding. I just, I don't, <laughs> I don't, everybody knows I'm a massive Baker Mayfield fan. I like Baker Mayfield. But, but so the Browns kind of loom as, you know, like a potential big sleeper. But Aaron Rodgers doesn't want to go to the Midwest. He wants to go West, which is a whole, you know, whole thing. He doesn't have a no trade clause. But Jacksonville, they're not going to trade for Aaron Rodgers. I would be, I'd be floored. Uh, <laughs> And then the Jets, and the Jets just drafted Zach Wilson. So they're in a similar boat as the Jaguars. So really, of the four teams that have the money to do it without making significant moves to the roster, it's the Broncos or the Browns. And I don't think it's the Browns. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, you know, it, it, again, it still could happen. Um, uh, I don't know what to believe anymore about, you know, all the tea leaves that are being read in terms of he wants to stay, he wants to go, he doesn't want to play for him. He's had a spat with the GM and the the director of player personnel. And, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. I, at this point, I'm kind of focusing on what we've got. And right now, offensively, we don't have a, a, a roster that's going to scare many defensive coordinators mainly because our quarterback is the limiting factor. Yep. I so. think other than that, the, I mean, the other two big question marks to me on the team in general are also on the offensive side, which is unfortunate to your point, Joe. And we, we've kind of gone over that, right. With right tackle and center. I mean, you look across the defense, there's not a lot of question marks. My probably biggest question mark would be, defensive line depth in general right and uh, that's both edge rusher and interior defensive line who's you know who's going to be that guy that steps up as the third pass rusher and really if if one of the the two have to miss time between Bradley Chubb or Vaughn Miller do we see a massive drop off in pass rush again and um, I don't think they we really have an answer there but again that's a depth conversation that's not a starting mm -hmm. conversation I think you look at the starters across the defense and they're solid as you know as they can be and so i think all the question marks are on the offensive side and fortunately it's 
less than it is it was last year with Cortland Sutton down. I mean, you've got the receiver core is is better than they've been in a long time. But you still have those two question marks on the offensive line, and then obviously quarterback. So so long as the Broncos have the best defense in football, the right tackle situation, the center situation, and the quarterback <laughs> situation all come up roses, the Broncos could go to the Super Bowl. You know, I think you could probably just take the quarterback situation panning out with Aaron Rodgers, and you could you could figure out the center and the right tackle stuff if you've got him on the team paired with the yeah. defense. But yeah, well, I mean, you look at the years with with Peyton Manning and. And, and Peyton Manning always made his offensive line better. Yeah. Um, and Aaron Rodgers is the same. He makes his offensive line better. Uh, you know, Aaron Rodgers is one of those guys. He did it to the Broncos a couple of times the last time we played the Packers. He will get a couple of offside penalties every game just by hard counting. And he's the master of, you know, throwing the the 50-50 ball because well, they jumped off sides. I'm going to take a shot at the end zone. Yep. Um, so, you know, it, it's little things like that. But he also, you know, he, he'll, he helps the offensive line by getting rid of the ball, by um, knowing where he's going with the ball, by knowing what the defense is trying to do. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, if, if we get Aaron Rodgers, he immediately makes – the entire offensive line better just by being Aaron Rodgers. And so that kind of feels like a good way to end it. If the Broncos get Aaron Rodgers, I feel really, really good about the direction of the Broncos for the next <laughs> probably three to four years. If the Broncos do not get Aaron Rodgers, I have serious questions about 2022. Um, and I think you guys both agree with me. Yeah, yeah. I think we're, I mean, unfortunately, I think we're headed towards a massive shakeup if, this season doesn't go or if the season goes the way that the last couple have. And so we'll see what happens. Yeah. I mean, it, it, you think about it, we've got, you know, the, the four most important positions in the game, right? You've got quarterback, you've got edge rusher, you've got left tackle and you've got cornerback. Um, and uh, you know, we have, we have, an edge rusher who's probably gone after, or, you know, an elite edge rusher who's probably gone after this year in Von Miller. Um, we have a quarterback situation that has been and continues to be a question mark. Uh, and, you know, the only two of those that we really have locked down uh, are cornerback and left tackle at this point. Um, so, you know, you got, you got question marks in 2022, uh, at two of the most important positions of the 22 starting positions out there, um, not counting special teams. Uh, and, you know, and, and we don't know what's going to happen with those, you know, and, and frankly, even if Von Miller has a great season uh, in 2021, you know, does that mean we, we give him a big contract extension or, or try and keep him in Denver for another year and hope that the drop off doesn't happen in terms of his production really quickly? Um, there'll be some, you know, there'll be some questions that we'll have to ask of, of a good nature if we have a successful season and this defense plays to the level that a lot of us are really hoping it can. Now we, we don't have time to get into it right now, but I will go to the mat for Von Miller, even Same. if he's limping along on, on with his, his, you know, on one foot or something, I want him to stay in Denver, but I, I hear you, you know, you don't know what's going to happen after this year. And as he gets up in age, uh, you know, you've got to start building some contingencies, particularly on that defensive line. 
Yep. But thanks for joining us, uh, Joe. Uh, yeah, this is it, fun. It was good talking to you. And Jeff, it was good talking to you. It's been a minute. Always uh, fun. If you guys have any questions for us, uh, be sure to shoot them at us. Otherwise, uh, go Broncos. See you next time. Yep. Have a good night. Go Broncos.